so I'm back and it is thankful Sunday so we're gonna kind of do like a bible study thing like we did last Sunday I have like two lessons I'm gonna do with you guys last time I made it I think it did pretty well got a good amount of downloads so I thought why not keep it up and just on Sundays we'll do like little bible study lessons or Sunday school lessons we'll talk about faith and things like that and it'll be something fun. Again, not trying to offend anybody, but let's just hope we all enjoy this. Now, I got these lessons from BibleStudyLessonsPlans.com, so check them out if you want to do this. So today's lesson, well, the first one is going to be about three ways to manage stress. So it's Philippines 4, 4, 9. Um, the human needs this passage. Oh, sorry. What did I read? Oh. So the point of us reading this passage is to learn to manage the stress that life inevitably inevitably brings. I hope I said that right. Inevitably, I can't get it right. Let's just say in order to learn to manage the stress that life brings, because I cannot pronounce that word. All right. By the end of the session, each learner should be able to know three ways to manage stress from this passage, feel more peaceful in their circumstances, and consistently decide to obey one of Paul's commands to rejoice, pray, or think. So, in 1984, Baltimore Colts owner Robert Isray moved the team to Indianapolis. A couple sued them for $30 million because his actions caused him to suffer severe depression, severe physical and emotional disabilities, severe disturbance of mental and emotional tranquility, and mental distress of a very serious kind. All this is to say that you know you're in trouble when your emotional stability is based on the NFL. This might seem... Metal, melodramatic, but sometimes little things cause us a lot of stress. The leading causes of stress are often identified as finances, work, and family. This week, what was your leading cause of stress? Tell the person sitting next to you. So this week, my leading cause of stress probably was my job. My job has been really stressing me out lately, and I think most of it's just because it's so much negativity. Like, we got rid of one person who was negative, but now we have two other negative people, so that's kind of starting to break me down a little bit and I think that's a lot of the things that are causing me stress is my job and the people I have to work with and I have to try to be nice all the time and try to deal with it but it's hard sometimes because I'm the type of person where I don't like negativity I want positivity I want everybody to get along like we're here to do a job and go home and I feel like it's just a lot of stress and a lot of annoyance from certain people so that's the main thing that's stressing me out lately transition if we are alive we have stress good and bad experiences both contribute to the stress in our lives however philippines 4 teaches us how to manage it so it doesn't rule us our emotions and our actions so we're going to read philippines 449 the first of philippines three ways to manage stress is rejoice the apostle paul instructs us to rejoice in the lord what does that mean it means that we can have joy even though we are in difficult circumstances most people are emotionally controlled by their own internal moods or their external circumstances paul gives us another way while we when we rejoice in the lord we are placing our confidence in jesus this is a choice that we can make to reflect a spirit of joy in the midst of difficulty is a powerful witness to the strength jesus gives his followers okay so now we're going to kind of go into a story in my sales career, I have observed that most of my colleagues are happy when they make the sale and sad when they lose the sale. At a certain level, this is understandable, but often their whole week, month, and year is influenced by how many sales they are making. They seem to—they seem like total victims to their 
to the way their personal production is going. Jesus wants us to draw our joy from the smile on his face. Some days will go well and other days will not. Jesus is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he is the source of our joy, personal circumstances do not carry as much weight. The second of Philippines' three ways to manage stress is pray. Stressful situations generate a natural form of anxiety. Paul says that instead of being overcome by the worries of life, we should cast our cares upon God by praying. People who pray tend to not worry. People who tend to worry often forget to pray. It's really that simple. And I have to agree. That's so true. When you pray, you don't worry. I agree. So I'm going to tell you another story. Of all the psychiatric prescriptions drugs prescribed, in 2019, the top seven drugs are used to treat anxiety. I do believe that there are legitimate needs for these drugs. There are a lot of anxious people in the world. Could we alleviate some of this anxiety through prayer? I think so. When we pray, we are no longer depending on, on our own power. Our ideas, our wisdom. We are now depending on the creator of the universe. Power, ideas, and wisdom. That brings peace. The God that parted the Red Sea, the Jesus that calmed the wind and the waves, Jesus that healed the woman, this same God and Jesus are ready to help you when you pray. Take your burdens to the throne of grace and ask for help. God cares about every detail of our life and is waiting for us to pray. God never promises strength for next week, just for today. The last of Philippines' three ways to manage stress is think. This means we take responsibility for our minds. God has given us the capacity to control our thoughts. We can choose to think on negative things or on positive things. It's really on us. My thoughts are often the source of my greatest greatest stress. I, often, I always imagine the worst. So here are some things that stress people out. I think about growing old and becoming dependent on others. I think about my health failing. I think about people not liking me. I think about being failing at being failing at work or even losing my job. I think about my country becoming worse and worse. I think about something bad happening to my children. These kinds of thoughts will inevitably lead to stress and anxiety. We all have concerns, but the key is to not dwell on them. Instead, Paul says to think about what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and mild. We can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Corinthians 10.5 Every time I focus my thoughts on God, he becomes bigger and my problems become smaller. Okay, so here's a story. When my wife Peggy was diagnosed with cancer in 1996, she had to deal with her words. She developed a habit of consistence, cons- consciously re- redirecting her thoughts away from her fears and onto God. This song, based on I Peter 5:7, cast all your anxiety on God, for He cares for you, greatly helped her. The words are, "I cast all my cares upon You, I lay all my burdens down at Your feet, and any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon You." Peggy can consciously sing that song sings that song day or night whenever the stress is crowded and as she sings the song she pictures herself carrying all of her words in a big sack and laying it down on at the feet of jesus once she dropped her words she envisioned herself crawling up on jesus lap there as a child on his lap she felt reassured and safe she learned to control her thoughts to think of what was true and right god's word gives us many ways to manage stress. The Book of Philippines provides three of the most practical guidelines to help us gain peace and minimize the things that bring on stress and depression. Ask Jesus to help you. He sees everything that you're currently facing. Rejoice that he is in charge. Pray and ask for help. Keep your thoughts on him, not your surroundings. If you do, if you do the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. So now we're going to do some discussing que- discussion questions. Sorry, Which promise of God most encourages you when you are stressed? Um, when I'm stressed, the most encourages, um, which promise of God? I think prayer. 
because I know prayer helps. So when you pray, that really makes me feel better because I know when I'm praying, it calms me down, makes me feel better, makes me feel like my problems aren't so heavy. And it makes me feel like I gave my problems to the Lord and he's going to fix them. How would rejoicing in God help you manage stress? It would help us manage stress a lot because we would be putting our faith into the Lord. And he would rejoice and he would guide us and it would get us to a good space. How would praying to God help you manage stress? Praying, like I said, it helps a lot because once you pray, you're giving it to God. You're no longer thinking about it. God has the problem now. He's going to solve it. He's going to fix it. And it will kind of just calm you down. How will controlling your thoughts help you manage stress? A lot, because I think our thoughts tend to weigh us down. Like, I will admit, I sometimes get to work and I think negative and I start to get upset. And then that's that's my whole day right there. But if I thought positive and didn't let everyone around me get to me, I think my day will be 100% better. My thoughts will be better. My mind will be better. And I wouldn't feel the way I feel. What is the greatest hindrance that keeps you from doing one of these ways to manage stress? I think it's me. Like, I'm in my own way. Like, I tend to get in my own way. And I think that definitely hinders me from being able to manage my stress better because I get in my head and once I'm in my head, I, I can't get out of it. What one step will you commit to doing this week? This week, I'm going to commit to not letting everyone at my job stress me out, particularly one person really stresses me out, the nurse practitioner. And I feel like I let her get in my head. I let her get to me. And I don't want to do that. So my goal this week is to kind of ignore her, not allow her to get me upset and just focus on doing my job. So this Bible study lesson was stress. So guys, if you're stressed out, remember to try to pray, try to rejoice, and just try to be happy. And don't allow, you know, your mind or everything to take you over. So that was actually fun. So if you're stressed, you probably need to hear that. So now we're going to do a different one. Let's see. So, (coughs) excuse me, guys. I'm so sorry. All right. So, uh, this next session is about spiritual struggle in life. Genesis 3-5. So, the Bible passage again is Genesis 3-5. The human needs this Genesis Bible study passage meets is... So anyway, guys, before I get into it, though, if you have a Bible handy, you can pull it out and you can turn to Genesis 3-5 if you want to follow along, just letting you guys know. But, okay, so everyone has a spiritual struggle in life. The solution is to find God and trust in him. So learning goals. By the end of this session, each learner should be able to know, understand that because of Adam and Eve's sin, all are born spiritually dead with a tendency to doubt God. Feel, feel the hopelessness of living in a fallen world without God. Do commit to finding God by trusting Him in His plan. Okay. So we start our Genesis Bible study with the first two chapters. He just took clear truths. God created all things. At one time, the world was morally perfect, no sin and no problems. The obvious questions: What happened to the human race? What happened to the world? In our Genesis Bible study, we begin to discover what happened in the lives of the earliest people who walked the earth. From Genesis 3-5, we'll examine the lives of four people. Adam and Eve, the first two humans. Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. And Enoch, the seventh generation grandson of Adam through his son Seth. I want us to see how these four people dealt with the same spiritual struggles in life that we do. 
So, the first spiritual struggle in life centers on the story of Adam and Eve. Let's read Genesis 3, 1, 13. Unbelief, the first spiritual struggle in life. Genesis 3 is the Genesis Bible study account on how the entire human race, Adam and Eve, was converted from believers into unbelievers. Satan's goal was to turn their hearts away from believing God and give them a reason to follow Satan. Satan's strategy was based on his belief that if God looked bad, sin would look good. Let's take a closer look at how Satan accomplished his goal. He began with doubt. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He moved to deception. You will not surely die. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. He appealed to her desires. When the woman said, when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, finally Satan trumped triumph with disobedience. She took some and ate it, and he ate it. Satan could step back and laugh as he watched Adam and Eve deal with the consequences. Disgrace. 310. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Defensiveness. The woman you put 312. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. 313. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Disappointment. 316. I will greatly increase your pains in childbirth. 316. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 317. Through painful toil and the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Death physical. 319. For dust you are and to dust you will learn. Death spirit three uh, excuse me, death spiritual three twenty three. The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden and drove him out. This is symbolic of the loss of God's presence. What we learn from this part of Genesis Bible study. Genesis five one describes man as God intended. When God created man, he created him. In the like likeliness of God, Genesis five three describes man as he is today. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. The Bible teaches us the meaning of spiritual death and how that death happens. Physical death happens when the human spirit leaves the body. James 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead. Spiritual death happens when the Holy Spirit leaves the human spirit. Genesis 2.17, when you eat of it, you will surely die. When God breathed into Adam his breath, Adam became spiritually alive. Adam didn't have to worry about finding God. God was there when he was created. When God withdrew his Holy Spirit from Adam's human spirit, Adam died. Now Adam was spiritually uninhibited, destitute, separated from the life of God. Ephesians 4.18, you must not live with the Gentiles. They are alienated from the life of God, uninhibited. In the spiritual condition, Adam had a son. The human race began to reproduce without the indwelling spirit of God. So now that the man is uninhibited, oh my God, is it? uninhabited sorry and sin has entered the world how would you describe the human race so basically the human race to me was actually it was a good place but once adam and eve did what they did there became sin and so then it kind of allowed the sin to go into the world so now it was like kind of like people were doing things that they should not be doing Many still maintain that man is fundamentally good. Others maintain that man is fundamentally bad. Pointing to the sin of Genesis 3, but the best answer is that man is fundamentally dead and trespass and sin. Man is born with a sinful nature. Man is born without the spirit of God. That explains why the promise of the gospel centers not only on giving man God's forgiveness, but also resorting to man's God's spirit. This Genesis Bible study story not only teaches us about the origin of us of sin into the world, it also helps us see the root cause of it. So, what is the maximum speed limit? Do you truly accept that this speed limit is the best for you? Do you believe that the people who set that limit have the safety of of all at heart? If you believe that, you'd never go over the limit. Every time we disobey, we are saying, I know better than you. I know what's best for me. In the same way, Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness and believed Satan's lie. Man became an unbeliever. 
At the heart of every sin is is a thought that I know better than God. The essence of their thoughts could be summarized like this. God, you are holding out on us. You want to be like you. You want what you have. We thought you could be trusted. Satan is our friend. You are our enemy. We don't believe you anymore. You aren't worthy of our trust. When Satan made God look bad, he had trouble making sin look good. Adam and Eve died of God and became unbelievers. A sinful, unhip, un inhibited downing heart has been passed on to every generation a heart that must set up set about finding god survival the second spiritual struggle in life let's continue our genesis bible study by reading genesis 4 1 12 and 17 24 every person since adam and eve has had to learn how to cope in a fallen world full of pain cain was born into this unkind world with the same dotting uninhibited unbelieving heart of parents cain represents the majority of the human race because instead of turning to and therefore finding god cain determined that he don't he didn't need to, he didn't need god to survive cain thought he could make life work on his own he wasn't interested in finding god one of the most painful days of cain's life was the day god accepted abel's sacrifice but not his he was so angry that he left justified in killing his brother abel that behavior horrified God so much that he placed Cain under a curse. Genesis 4.12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain resolved to not let that happen. He tried to build a comfortable life for himself by starting a family and building a city. Genesis 4.17, Cain lay with his wife and she gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. The Genesis Bible study reveals that Cain's descendants continue to self-centered determination to make life work in order to survive without God. It is best illustrated by Lamech, seventh generation from Adam through Cain. He didn't come to God for anything and make up his own rules as he went along. He felt no need for finding God. He disregarded God's design for marriage by becoming the first polygamist in history. Sorry, polygamist in history. Genesis 4:19. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. His commitment to getting his own way like Cain illustrated in the way he bragged to his wives. Genesis 4.23, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So, we all enjoy stories and movies of survival. For the younger generation, it may, the TV show Survivor for me. It's the 1960 Disney movie Swiss Family Robinson. This movie just separates a family that is shipwrecked on a deserted island. They have to find creative ways to provide the food water fire and shelter perhaps you read the novel by the same name or defoe's robinson's crusoe what is really necessary for survival doctors say that people can generally live totally without food for five for four to six weeks even though some have gone longer however people can only live without water for 10 days under ideal circumstances we know that there are often physical consequences from the lack of food and water but what about surviving without God? Is finding God necessary for survival? What does the Genesis Bible study teach? In Jude 11, the Bible says to watch out for godliness men who have taken the way of Cain. The way of Cain is to deceive yourself into thinking you can survive the life without ever finding God. Be more concerned about fixing your problems than finding God. Have no higher priority than arranging for your own comfort here and now. Make for yourself a happy life on your own. Take the world as full of survivors like Cain. Today, the world is full of survivors like Cain. The whole focus is making life work. Their problem is that they are trying to feel alive in a world that has no life to give. They simply pretend like that life is not as bad as it is. If we don't want to go through life merely surviving on our own, what other option is there? The only other option is to set about finding God. That requires faith, and today, everyone is born a doubter. Three, faith.
The third spiritual struggle in life. The world was so bad, humans' hearts were so sinful that people began to wonder what's missing. Of course, what was missing was God. Let's continue with our Genesis Bible study. Genesis 4.26, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. But what have men learned was that in finding God, we must come to God on his terms. Hebrews 11.6, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The bottom line is that most people do not earnestly set out about finding God until they are convinced that they cannot make it on their own. Enoch was such a man, after 65 years of living life on his own terms, he decided to seek God. The good news is that he found God, trusted God, and walked with God for 300 years. Genesis 5.21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. Genesis 5:24. Enoch walked with God, then he was, then he was no more because God took him. Hebrews 11:5. Enoch was comm- commended as one who pleased God. Enoch first decided he couldn't make it any longer on his own. He sought God, fought God, walked with God, pleased God, was taken home to God. The point is that until he began to walk with God, he never really lived. He just existed. Genesis 4:5. 7, 10, 13, 16, 19, 26, 30. Underscore that each man merely lived and then died. Only a notch walk with God. The difference between merely existing and really living is finding God. When you walk with God, you find God's grace. You find God's guidance. You know that's a better home. There's a be- That's a better home waiting for you. This is so good, guys. Okay, so this is a long story. But I don't know if I want to read all of it. This one in the middle is very long. Okay, so how about your life today? Are you merely exist- existing? Are you serious about finding God? Are you walking with God? Are you building a city here or trusting God for a better home later? Focused on your plan for making life work or focused on God's plan for your life? Doubting or finding God? So here are seven discussion questions. Why is doubting God's goodness the foundation of our unbelief? How did Adam and Eve doubt God's goodness in this Genesis Bible study? Well, obviously, they Adam and Eve stopped believing because they ate the apple. God told them not to. They listened to the devil and or Satan and did what they wanted to do. So they kind of was doubting God. They were going against him. And they shouldn't have done that. Will a person ever start finding God unless they recognize God is good enough to trust? Um... I think you do have to trust in, in God in order to to me in order to be able to follow him because if you don't put your trust in him then in your mind you probably wouldn't follow him but if you believe in God strongly you, you trust in God and you know he everything's going to be in his hands and it's good for you and once you recognize that I think you'll be able to put your trust in him and do the right thing a person is determined to make it on his own. Will he be interested in finding God? Why, why not? What has to happen in a person's life to cause them to quit depending on themselves and begin finding God? I think you have to hit rock bottom. A lot of people have to hit rock bottom and go through hell and back in order to realize that they have to put God first. God is number one in order for their life to be better and back on track. They have to have God there. Because if God is going to keep putting you through a series of tests and storms until you find him, until you put him first in your life. What part of this Genesis Bible study applied to you? I feel like all of it did because I went through a phase and still am going through a phase where I didn't put God first in my life. And it's still been a struggle for me to do that. So honestly, when we do these Bible studies, it really does help me because I'm bringing a piece of God back into my life. Because I felt like when I got pregnant with my daughter, I didn't want the church to know. Because, you know, sometimes the church frowns upon that because I wasn't married. And so I think I still am struggling a little bit with trying to bring God back into my life 
and try to figure out, you know, where he stands. Of course, I believe in God. I trust in God. He's my everything. It's just the fact that going back to church and reading the Bible more and getting to be back in God's life a little bit more is what I'm I'm looking forward to. What does the fact that Enoch didn't begin to trust God until he was 65 give you hope? Because it says no matter how old you are, you still can turn your life around. He may have not have trusted God in the beginning, but he waited late in life. But the point is he did it. He put his trust in God and he started doing the right thing. And that's all that matters. So it's like you're never too old or whatever to, to actually, you know, find. It's like when people say you're never told to go back to school. It doesn't matter. He was never too old. And it was just good that he found God when he did. Why is putting your absolute faith in God the only way to survive in this fallen world? Because the world is so crazy and everything is so chaotic. You need God in your life in order to survive and make it through. I feel like in the world we live in now where there's people getting killed and people dying every day and so much crime and hate in the world, you need God in your life because God is the only way you're going to survive, in my opinion, to get through this life. How will you know you are sincerely committed to finding God? You'll just know in your heart. You'll know when you've been through enough, you've had enough. You'll know when you're ready to commit fully to God and give your life to him. And it may not happen overnight, but you'll get to a space where you're finally like, I'm ready. You'll just know. So that was our second Bible study lesson, guys. Genesis Bible study, spiritual struggle in life, Genesis 3-5. That was pretty interesting. Again, I got these lessons from... Um, sorry guys, I'm so tired. I got these lessons from BibleStudyLessonPlans.com. I'm actually gonna bookmark this because I actually thought this was good, so we'll bookmark this so that way I can come back next week and we can go to the site again. So, yeah, this was a great site, guys. This was another great Sunday with Bible study for you guys. I had fun doing it, I hope you guys liked it. It taught me a lot about my faith, hopefully helped you with your faith. If you're someone like me, but you're kind of in and out of your faith right now, but you're trying to find your way back like me, hopefully this helps you. Um, shout out to to you guys for listening and tuning in. I hope I reached somebody out there. I hope you guys tuned in and you turn to your Bibles or you'll go visit that website and check it out. But we'll continue to do these Bible studies every Sunday, thankful Sunday. So I hope you guys have an amazing, amazing Sunday, guys. I'm about to lay here and cuddle up and watch some TV. My boyfriend is sleeping because he had to work all night. So I'm about to just chill for a little bit until he wakes up. But guys, please enjoy your Sunday and please pay attention to these Bible studies because if they can help me, I know they can help you. God is real and he is He is the joy and the light of our world. And, you know, we got to learn how to put him first in the world that we live in today. But anyway, I'm going to end this, guys. So I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Please enjoy your Sunday. Be safe.